It's week 52 of 2017, but rather than just look at this week, we're going to look back at the entire year in review, take a look at some stories from earlier in the year and see how they've evolved. That's all coming up on the IT Pro TV podcast starting right now. Hello and welcome to the IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined as always by Don Pizet. Don, how you doing? Hey, I am doing great. Ready to wrap up this year, so we should have a fun episode. Yeah, this is actually the year in review episode. We've been kind of doing the weeks in review with the news uh, as it comes up each week, but figured uh, with this 52nd week of the year, 2017, let's go ahead and just recap the whole year for those of you that may have missed it. Uh, it was It was a good one. It was a good year. Yeah, and, and I think it's fun to take some of the topics that were, like, huge in the news for a few weeks and then disappeared, you know, to, to follow up and kind of see where, where things are now. And, and because this is the first time we've done it, so I have to look at just this year. In the future, we'll be able to look at each year's episodes and kind of revisit that back and find out what's going on. Because there's a lot of times where something gets picked up by the media and you hear everything there is to know about it at that time, but then... Then the next big thing comes along, and the news moves along, and, and you stop hearing about these things in the past. So we'll get a chance to revisit some of those. Um, we've got some interesting things that were were interesting the first time we heard them, uh, but some others that turned out to be a lot more interesting than we thought as the year went on. So we'll, we'll recap all that right here and get a chance to see what, what happened. Yeah, and, the, and the biggest thing this year, obviously, is us starting this podcast, but that was only um, about six months or so ago. So um, some of these aren't necessarily things we covered when they originally happened, but uh, definitely interesting to look at them now in perspective uh, with a little bit of time passed. And and the first one is actually one of the things that we that we did cover just a couple of weeks back, and that would be net neutrality. There's There's been a lot of advancements, uh, advancements or... Uh, regressions, I don't know, in, in net neutrality uh, over this year and, and the last couple of years. Um, but we had a big announcement just a, a few weeks back here, and that was, uh, what did you call it, a resolution of of disapproval. disapproval. Yeah. So Which, yeah. You know, net neutrality, at first glance, it appeared to just be a U.S.-only problem. Like, uh, you know, it only affects USA. But really, because there's so much infrastructure here, it affects everybody all over the world. And so as that net neutrality vote happened, you saw people reporting on it everywhere. You just could not avoid information on it. Uh, unfortunately, it, it was repealed. And so the the rules that protected just data traffic across the internet are now kind of gone. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's the end of the world, right? The, the internet did not shut down the next day, which is good. Uh, and Congress is now making a, a move towards what they call a resolution of disapproval, which kind of shows the sad state of our society when we actually have a formalized process for disapproving of something. You used to just give it a nasty look and maybe call it some names, but now now you got to fill out paperwork. So, uh, so they're going to do that, and, and apparently if they do it, then the FCC has to basically reapply net neutrality. So we may see this one again in 2018. The odds are we actually will. They, they didn't get a chance to vote on it before um, uh, before they went to recess for the, the winter holidays. Uh, so we'll, we'll see in, in spring when things pick back up and, and where that goes. It'll be another one to follow. But definitely probably the biggest news story of, of 2017. Yeah, and even if it, it does move forward with net neutrality, there's a lot of steps that need to happen uh, between now and you having to buy the IT Pro TV podcast package, uh, <laughs> which you need to go ahead and, and uh, contact your local cable or internet provider about that. Um, but there, there's going to be a lot of steps with, with how that actually rolls out. I mean, y you've already seen some little inklings of things that, uh, you know, uh, T-Mobile includes your Netflix with your package or, or things like that where you can see the slippery slope where things are um, kind of moving in that direction. But uh, but like Don said, there's there's some time left in this one where um, things could definitely change. And, and there, I figure there will be a lot of back and forth. And, and it's been interesting to see some of the reactions of other countries going out of their way now to make uh, uh, more uh, net neutrality rules and put things in place that kind of are the exact opposite of, of what's being done in the U.S. So um, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, the next uh, next big thing that, that was big talk of, of this last part of the year um, really is Bitcoin. And we, we actually did uh, the last podcast. We had uh, an expert uh, come in and chat with us about Bitcoin, really the technology behind it and blockchain and how all those things fit together and cryptocurrency in general. Uh, so that's a really good one. If you don't know what we're talking about at all, definitely <laughs> go back and watch that one. But um You've got it listed on, on the rundown here today as the rise of Bitcoin. And since we did that podcast, we've seen the fall of Bitcoin, which, 
I mean, if you and, started at the beginning of the year, you're still better off than you were. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But uh, you're you're less happy than you were right before Christmas. And you know, as a tech person, this seems like a fluff topic, right? But it was a an item that kept popping up over and over again all throughout the year. Bitcoin was on our radar early in the year because of all the the rise in ransomware. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and Bitcoin was the typical payment for the ransom of, of ransomware. Uh, but towards the end of the year, it all became focused on how it's increased in value so much. And you mentioned the fall, right? So it, it reached a value of over $19,000, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then it fell down to like $15,000, which that, that's a pretty big drop, 25%, right? Uh, it's rebounded a bit now. I think it's, what is the current value? Um Oh, actually, it's, it's down right now, 14500 But it doesn't matter because tomorrow it'll be 17000 and that's it. So, you know, it sounds bad, but the, the really interesting thing I think we need to highlight for 2017 is the fact that a Bitcoin is worth anything at all, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, better yet, well over 10000 American dollars. That That is a ton of money for a fake currency that, that has no real value. <laughs> uh, I made my opinion kind of plain on this yeah. one, but uh, uh, but that's definitely something we'll want to keep an eye on. There's there's people still trying to figure out why why it's gaining in this value, why people all of a sudden have this perceived value. Is it a bubble? If it is, it's going to pop in 2018, so that'll be a you know the big story of 2018. Uh, you know, that'll, that'll definitely, definitely be one to take a look at. Uh, but in the tech industry right now, you just can't avoid people talking about Bitcoin one way or another, either the value of it, how it's being used, how it's being used legally and illegally, how blockchain works. That really is one of the bigger tech stories to come out uh, of the last year. Yeah, and I know that's something we've talked about doing in 2018 is, you know, hopefully maybe we'll get Duncan back in here, but uh, dig a little bit more into the technology behind Bitcoin and and talk about blockchain and some of the other uses um, for it beyond just the the buzzwords and, and yeah. things to hear about with Bitcoin. Yeah, I'll talk bad about it all day, but it, it it's cool technology. Yeah. Like the, the blockchain itself can be used for so many different things. Uh, it's making it into fake money that I have a problem with. But. Yeah, and uh, when I was trying to explain uh, this whole uh, Bitcoin thing to my dad over um, the holiday break, uh, he, he he was born in the Netherlands, and so he he's, he told me to go home and Google the uh, the tulip bubble or uh, what do they call oh, it? Oh yeah. Tulip, uh, I, something I, I have heard about that that it yeah. was like uh, false scarcity or the something bulbs, and, yeah that people would uh, people were basically buying the bulbs because I had to go watch a YouTube video to appease <laughs> my dad uh, people were basically buying the bulbs never even taking possession of them and then selling them where you know there so when the bubble actually burst there were people that had the uh, the expenditure out but didn't have anything in their hand and likewise there were people that had the bulbs and hadn't paid anything so it was really interesting stuff but mm-hmm. uh, just goes to show that uh, we are destined to continue to repeat uh, history <laughs> and this year's tulips are um, Bitcoin so um, speaking of repeating history um, the, the big theme I've noticed this year in in our podcast has been data breaches and if your data is on the internet or anywhere, or even in your home or in a file cabinet, someone else has it probably. And the big one this year was Equifax, just because they're such a big name and the type of data that they have on you in terms of social security number, or all of your uh, payment history for everything ever. Um, that made this one uh, particularly scary. And um, that was a few months ago, and we haven't heard much about no. Equifax recently. Yeah, you know... Um, in, in getting ready for this show, we picked about 15 different topics that, that were all big for 2017, and uh, the next couple of ones are all in the security section, and it, it was it would have been easy to pick 15 that were just security-related. Like There have been so many security-related incidents this year. I don't think it's actually different than previous years. It's just they get a, a, far, a lot more press, a, a lot more communication, which is a good thing, but that news cycle that's out there makes it where it's easy to forget. And so uh, with Equifax, 143 million people their extremely personally identifiable information completely compromised. Uh, you know, just an inexcusable breach. Really, really bad stuff. Uh, huge news for a solid month. I mean, it was everywhere. Uh, and then now we're in this lull. And and this has happened before. I was telling Peter before the show that, that several years ago, uh, RSA had a breach like this where uh, it compromised their hardware tokens. That was really bad. It was in the news for like a week or two and then disappeared and nobody ever talked about it again. We never did find out the extent of that breach, how many people were affected. They didn't do a whole lot of customer notifications. That was a really, really weird one. Uh, With Equifax, 
what's going on right now is there there is an investigation going on. The authorities are involved, and so uh, a lot of this is now being kind of held because it's part of of litigation, and and so it kind of clamps down on that information. It might be years before we start getting more information out on this one, but it was a huge breach and a big eye opener to a lot of companies. Really said, hey, you got to start paying more attention to the security of your network, which is a great thing because a lot of companies underinvest in that. Yeah, and the interesting thing to me about the whole Equifax breach was finding out really how far Equifax goes uh, into other lines of business where you'd say, oh, well, I'll just start using this monitoring service or this monitoring service and then find out they use Equifax for this part and that part. So um, it's interesting to see when a breach takes place, that breach can can reach far beyond what you think it, it reaches and, and go into all these other um, areas where you're potentially um, kind of stuck then too. Which gave this whole article a, uh, a bit of irony you know, to it that, that uh, Equifax actually has a breach notification service <laughs> and, and they, can, they can help you. They, they, they call it their breach services, which I, I wonder if they used themselves. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, Maybe that's it, how they happened. found out. Yeah, and, and you know you're talking about the news cycle that this year especially has been kind of crazy. You know when this first broke, they were just saying, please let the president tweet something today because <laughs> all of a sudden the 6 p.m. news would be like, oh, and by the way, oh, we have breaking news coverage. There's a tweet. Uh, so speaking of other security stories from this year, uh, ransomware was one of the, the big ones for sure. I just wrote an article um, here for IT Pro TV about ransomware and what you can do um, to help uh, prevent it or make sure that you're backed up and stuff in case you do get it. Uh-huh. Um, I thought but, you were going to say what you could do to make it and uh, yeah, you know, how to distribute, uh, it. distribute it. Yeah, yeah and, <laughs> and really, because the big thing is you want to know how many Bitcoin to ask for. And that's that's the hardest part. In your ransoms, do you wait the 48 hours and see what Bitcoin is worth mm-hmm. You know, and pay the ransom then or take the risk that it's going to go back up? So <laughs> people are really getting off the hook easy uh, compared to last week with their ransomware. But, uh, yeah, the big one we wanted to talk about was Petya. Is that how it's Yeah, say? Petya. Petya? Um, you know, uh, you mentioned the Bitcoins, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, with ransomware last year, in 2016, it was really common for the ransomware to say, hey, all of your files are encrypted, and if you want them, you got to send me one Bitcoin. Well, back then, one Bitcoin was $300, right? We're talking about uh, over a 1,000% growth in value of Bitcoin in the period of a year. And so now, if they tell me my files are encrypted and they want one Bitcoin, Screw that. That's that's $17,000. You know, that, that's a, a ton of money. Uh, so it has really messed with the ransomware um, monetization model. Yeah, the whole ransomware and, industry has just turned on its head. It's tough. So what was interesting, though, was that ransomware is still out there, except we're now starting to see it be weaponized. And that's that's really, really interesting. Uh, Petya was the first example of that where uh, or the first documented example. So in theory, things like Stuxnet were, were great examples in the past. But um, but with Petya, where it was specifically targeted at an area, it was released in the, the area of the Ukraine to be able to to target systems there and compromise them. Uh, foreign governments and, and state agencies, they're now at that point where they can, they can craft these types of, of malware and viruses and specifically target countries, regions, and it might spread, right? Petya ultimately did spread to the entire globe, but it was really focused in one area, and it wasn't just a random distribution. It was, it was a targeted effort. So we're going to see more of that, that cybercrime activity is no longer just the, the you know, back corner kind of hacker who's trying to make some money. Now it's actually governments and uh, North Korea, Russia, the United States. We're, we're right in there with, with all of them. We all have cyber warfare units now, and, and it is now turning into a weapon. So, uh, boy, cybersecurity for a lot of people was a hobby, like the hackers in the 1980s. Now, now it's a military career. Yeah, and, and I wonder if it targeted Ukraine. I wonder who could have been behind uh, such a – I wonder what nation Albania. State. Yeah, it's probably Albania. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did want to ask, though, on that. You said that, uh, that then it spreads from there. So obviously, if I'm, you know, if I create a, a, a ransomware attack and I attack you, you know, I, I'm just focusing on, on that attack. How does it spread from there where someone else gets that code and then says, oh, cool, I'm going to use this as well because I know this works? Is that basically? Yeah. Well, um, you know, if you think about the, the Stuxnet attack, right, which mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, malware that was introduced to stop Iran's nuclear facilities. So uh, Iran had nuclear facilities. They knew that other people might attack them, so they air-gapped them. They made sure that they were not connected to the Internet, that you just couldn't get in. And so whoever 
whoever crafted Stuxnet, <laughs> the, the, the generally accepted theory is that it's the U.S. and Israel, uh, that whoever made Stuxnet uh, really had to work hard to get that into their network to infect the machines. So they're focused on how can we get that in there to infect those machines, not how can we stop it from spreading anywhere else. And, and they do escape, right, especially once the forensics part starts, right? A, um, a local police department takes a seized laptop and throws it in their uh, evidence room. Mm -hmm. And then later it gets fired up and connected to the internet to, to be able to demonstrate something uh, or even collect or information. sold at auction and, yeah. <laughs> to you and I. And, yeah. and now it leaks out. It, you yeah. know, sold at auction. Some of these attacks now are, are embedding in firmware and in BIOS, and it, it can certainly happen. So uh, so then they escape out. Petya, it, it may not have been targeted. Maybe it just happens to be a, a coincidence. It was just released in the Ukraine and then spread everywhere from there. But even if it was targeted, it's really hard to limit things like that, and and they just they spread. So that's uh, uh, a big problem. Um, uh, Brian Krebs with Krebs on Security, he did a write up where he he kind of went about uh, trying to document the process of how it went global and spread out and and tackled everything. Um, it's hard to really identify where it all started, right? Uh, and with some of them, you're seeing uh, where they they might ask for a Bitcoin, but the, the payment link is not even valid or the email address is not valid. And so that's what kind of tells you, hey, they're not trying to make money. This was released for some other reason. And, and we haven't seen that before. Now, now we're seeing it. Yeah, there were probably USB keys just littered all over um, Iran for people just to pick up with, with that virus <laughs> on it. And, and then they're like, wait, we didn't think about the uh, ramifications here. Who can pass up a free USB yeah, key? I, not me. And I bring it, and I always check on Don's uh, computer to see there you go. what's on the USB key. That's why I run OS2, oh, so that uh, I know, um, you know, no USB support. Which which version of, of <laughs> OS2 are you running? All of them. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, let's uh, switch gears to passing fads and buzzwords, as we're calling this section. And the uh, the first one is mobile devices overtaking laptops and desktops. And this is something we've heard about for several years now, how mobile is going to be the future. And mm -hmm. it's, it's the future. And, and um, you know, you get the statistics from Facebook on the number of views they have on mobile versus other things. But I've always kind of been one of those people that, well, that's, you know, that's great and all, but, but what can I really... Uh, there's things that I can only do on my laptop, and I'm I'm finding it's definitely more and more true. I mean, I know a lot of times on trips you'll only take your iPad Pro. Um, I mean, I guess we're te technically considering that a mobile device, even yeah. though it's, I mean it looks the same as I, your laptop when runs the done, mobile but, OS. But uh, but yeah, so so we think it's it's finally there. I, would you say? I, I would say that the numbers are showing it, right? So, um, you know, I had a hard time picking topics for this area because there were so many things. Uh, you know. I wanted to, well, like like last year. Last year we had um, uh, threat feeds and uh, advanced persistent threats and, uh, and machine learning, right? Those are big topics that they were really just buzzwords. And, and this year we had plenty of buzzwords as well. We had things like uh, AI and, well, machine learning, I guess, was still there. Uh, and all these kind of crazy things, the, the personal assistants, the Google Homes and Amazon Echoes and all those all of those things are really just buzzwords. So I wanted to try and find some stuff that, that was actually documentable. And, and this one was really neat. A lot of businesses have been fighting the battle against the whole bring-your-own-device movement. But at this point, I think the mobile device stuff has won or at least gained a big enough foothold that it can't be overturned. And so now, if you're a business, you can't expect your customer to have Windows. You can't expect your customer to have even Mac OS or, or Linux, for that matter, you have to expect a lot of them to be running a mobile operating system like iOS or Android. And uh, uh, Recode had some statistics on their site where, uh, for the first time, more people will do their holiday shopping on mobile than on desktop. And they had the numbers. They kind of showed here year over year as it started to grow, right? It's already been a really sizable amount. Even back in 2015, it was a huge amount of people using mobile devices in 2017, their their prediction was 54%, and they haven't pushed the final numbers, but it's certainly accurate. And, and even even myself, I found where there were like Black Friday deals where I, I didn't go to the store. I, 
I just use my phone and I bought it, you know, the Amazon app or the Target app on your phone and you can do the in-store pickup now. So if I've already paid for it, I just walk into the store, go to the counter and I get it. That's way better than trying to find an aisle, find an assistant. And, and the lemons. fights, fighting all the people uh, yeah, I, for the TVs. That's I can hard. fight whenever I want. I don't have to do it at the store. <laughs> sure. I like <laughs> I like to fight on uh, on a Saturday or a Sunday, not not my my Friday after yeah. Thanksgiving. Not a 4 a.m., yeah, right? No. Let's schedule a fight at a reasonable no, time. Good, nice daytime fight. But uh, I, uh, I actually, for the first time this year, did 100% of my holiday shopping uh, on my mobile device, and yeah. my my family is kind of boring. Um, we put it, uh, we put everything on Amazon wish lists, and just you know, being spread out and not knowing what someone wants necessarily. It's just an easy way. And so I, I was actually remember I went to lunch. I ordered lunch, sat down, was waiting for it to um, you know because you get your ticket and uh, wait for your number to be called. And I sat there and I went down each person's list and I picked a couple things that looked good. Um, hit submit, and I was done before my food arrived, which isn't a, a testament to how slow the food was. The food was, you know, on a normal uh, schedule. But I did 100% of my my uh, Christmas shopping this year on my phone from Amazon. Shop local. Um, <laughs> at yeah. well, I was shopping local at a at a deli. <laughs> Um, so I, I, at least yeah. I, I can check that part off. And, you know, you think about your own usage. It's pretty representative. Uh, you know, he, here at the office, I, I use either, uh, like I'm on Fedora Linux right now or Mac OS. At home, I've got a Windows machine. So when I'm at these stationary places, I'm using traditional desktop operating systems. But everywhere else, I'm either on my cell phone, which is Android. Uh, when I travel, I don't take a traditional device with me. You, you mentioned that, Peter. I, I have a, an iPad Pro or my Chromebook. I, you know, I, I use the Chromebook quite a bit. Actually, I haven't used the iPad Pro in, in a few weeks now. So I do so much on a mobile device, and there's been more than once that I've caught myself sitting right here at my desk reading an article on my phone <laughs> when I've got this giant monitor right here, yeah, right? It's easy them. to yeah. read, and, and I'm on this little phone, and, and I think to myself, why the heck am I looking at this little screen? But I, I've gotten so used to doing that. Yeah that I, I consume most of my news on mobile. And so it is, we're seeing more of that. And I think if they can just solve the keyboard problem, then we're probably at the point where many, many end users are no longer going to need a traditional desktop yeah. OS. Do you, you mentioned the Chromebook. Do you consider that? Is that a mobile device? I, I consider it that way because it's not a, a, a full-blown full OS. OS. Yeah. I, I can't install there are many people There's, who disagree we're with me get right a fight now. On this it's got one? a yeah. kernel. It's got RAM. It, you know, it's so, but you, you can't just install whatever you want on it. Yeah. it it's very, very limited to the the, the Chrome apps and and now uh, Android apps you can mm -hmm. run on it. Uh, so that's why I consider it mobile. For most people, they don't need a full blown operating system anymore, and, and so we are seeing that trend of people moving away from it. Uh, Apple has. Uh, if you look at the, oh, we'll talk more about this in the operating system second. I want to get ahead <laughs> of myself. Uh, but in the mobile devices, we have seen so many great leaps in strides, right? With Android 8 came out this year, uh, a lot of new functionality in there. iOS, they just keep cranking out new versions, adding new stuff, uh, new features, and making it easier and easier for people to use those mobile devices for everything. So businesses can't ignore that anymore. You have to plan on your customer. You have to plan on your employees using these mobile devices. And thanks to uh, Apple and the iPhone 10 now this year, um, the uh, the price of mobile devices has also caught up with the price yeah. of your traditional desktop. I'd say it's well above it. I mean, yeah. iPhone 10 is a thousand bucks. Yeah, when you and consider it, the processing power per you know per dollar. Yeah. I wonder uh, I wonder how that would. Uh, but it's it's so pretty. I haven't got it yet. Yeah, but I, you know, you get with a mobile device, and I'll, I'll say any mobile. So you know, not not just uh, Apple. Uh, you get battery life that goes all day. You get really full computing functionality. It it's impressive stuff. So uh, you know, really, we're going to continue to see more advancements. But 2017, I mean, it it really is the year that, that people made that switch to mobile OSs. Now, the other place where I find I'm doing a very similar thing to what you described is I'll be sitting on my couch watching a video on my phone, even when I have the Apple TV that I could sit there and airplay it to. But um, but that goes kind of to our next story, which is cable. Um, the, the cable subscription, I mean, if you were a cord cutter a year ago or two years ago, you're a very early adopter and you're, you know, I'm going to try Sling TV or I'm going to, um, you know, use exclusively Hulu and Netflix and, and these kinds of services. But I think we're starting to see this become a mainstream thing at this point where we're going to have, um, I mean, there's there's finally some a la carte options that with Sling where, where you can say, gosh, if I could only have these four channels and these live sports and this news, I'd be set and be able to cut the cord. And that that's kind of stuff's happening now. That's the kind of the next story we have here. 
Yeah, you know, uh, in the United States, when we made the switch to HD television, right, uh, the HD over the air, uh, that meant that you could get a high-quality video feed for free for your, your local channels. And then all these online services have really come a long way as well. Hulu has live TV now. Some of the other platforms started launching live TV. Uh, Plex, the, the free video platform, uh, they have where they can do full DVR functionality with live TV. So you're seeing more and more people cut the cord. And, and we did. Uh, 2017 was the year that the Pazette household became cord cutters. Uh, we use Hulu, Netflix, um, sometimes Showtime, Anytime, I think is what uh, Vivian uses. And then, uh, then we just have our, our own video library. So that it has completely replaced our need for cable, and it has been like that across the industry. So um, Business Insider had some numbers on this one, which you can see here. I mean, these guys are still making a ton of money, right? But uh, for traditional video subscribers, you can see that trend each year. And these these last uh, couple of ones here are, are the ones we really can, uh, care about uh, because the drop was fairly small, right? Like a 0.4% a drop or 0.5% drop, and then it became 1.2%, 1.5%, 3.3% in 2017. That's a, a, a drop that is doubling in size each year, uh, and it's only going to get worse. So uh, that market is reinventing itself, and the cable companies are, are learning, hey, our internet service is more valuable than our video service, yeah, uh, they're, which is they're, neat. Yeah, they're doing fine in this scenario because, um, like you said, they're already making a lot of money, but if you're switching to go to Hulu and, and Netflix, you're doing that through in most cases, the same provider um, to give you the internet that you were using to give you the cable before. And that's probably, I, I'm, I'm not sure, I haven't uh, you know checked these numbers, but that's probably less expensive for them than the payouts that they're making to the individual stations. Every station you know, in your cable, you've got 250 channels, they're making a small uh, you know, payment to them when you have cable. With the internet, that's really just the one big payment that they're making, uh, you know. Well, you know, there is another challenge, though. So you take a channel like ESPN, mm -hmm. right? Uh, ESPN costs a lot of money for a cable provider to offer. And yeah. you hear about cable providers going into these negotiations all the time. Well, if ESPN has their own internet streaming service, uh, which they do, then it almost behooves them to not discount the cable companies, to charge them more, knowing that if the customers don't like it, the customers will come and deal direct with ESPN, they'll probably make more money, mm -hmm. right? So I think the cable companies are going to start getting worse and worse deals on, on syndication or carrying the channels. And you may see more and more of them start to become just internet companies. Uh, I'd be, be curious to see. And that could be why ESPN uh, offloaded about half of their staff earlier this year. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, big time, big time uh, staff turnover. Right. Part of it goes back to their deal where they, they basically paid way too much for NFL, um, you know, because they've got a contract for several years out to broadcast NFL games. Paid way too much for that. When, the, the players got to eat. Well, yeah. well, you saw that that <laughs> that chart rising. Um, that's when they made that deal for the uh, NFL, and now it, it's dipping down, and and, uh, and obviously they're seeing uh, the effects of that. So um, we we have to just watch the the uh, games now without commentators, but you know we can figure <laughs> out what's going on. It's it's easy enough. Uh, so next up, uh, let's jump to an article uh, that was from the first quarter this year in March, um, saying wearables are dead. Or arms, excuse me, wearables aren't dead. They're just shifting focus as the market grows 16.9% in the fourth quarter. And that, so that would have been the fourth quarter of, of 2016, and that's reported Christmas in 2017. Time yeah. And, and uh, everyone's buying their, their Apple Watches and all that great yep. stuff. So obviously, wearables, they're the future. Yeah, uh, wearables have, have been a bit of an iffy market. And, and I'll say, you know, I, I, I had an Apple Watch for a while. Um, I didn't get as much utility out of it as I had hoped I could have. I had an Android uh, Wear watch for a while and really did not like it. It just was not functional at all. Like the, the, the Apple Watch is significantly better. Uh, but neither of them really gave me a ton of functionality. And uh, at the time, the analysts were saying, don't worry, this market is just evolving. Uh, it, it's changing who it's targeted to. Uh, initially, it was targeted towards uh, health and fitness and then it tried to go general, and then it was kind of repositioning after that. Uh, so that was the outlook at the beginning of the year. And it's always fun to come back and look at these things later on. Uh, TechCrunch had an article uh, just a few days ago. U.S. wearables market is doing much worse than expected. So um, that means, first off, it means they expected it to do bad, right? Uh, contrary to the numbers from last year, uh, but also it 
did even worse than they expected. So uh, if you look at the percentage in change here, the percentage in change has been getting smaller and smaller. The population is growing, but the wearable market isn't. And if you think about the advancements that are out there, even if you pick just one watch, pick the, uh, the most successful one is the Apple Watch, right? So if you look at the Generation 1, Generation 2, Generation 3, functionality-wise, they're not that different, right? Uh, they introduced the ability for the watch to operate standalone without a phone, but most people don't do that. It wasn't an issue for most people. Some people it was. Uh, but aside from that, by and large, it does the same thing as the very first generation. So you've got a product that's not being adopted very fast, and you've got a product that there's not really a reason to upgrade it other than... Uh, if yours breaks or if you want it to be a, a status symbol, like I've got to have the newest one, which only so many people do. The early adopter market is only so large. So wearables by and large have, have failed. That uh, And it's not just watches. Uh, think like, um, uh, what were the Android glasses? The, uh, the Google uh, Glass? The Google Glass, yeah. right? Uh, where those things, they just they weren't socially acceptable, and, and those got shut down. Once you see uh, Edward Snowden as, as the you know, main model of something, that's, it's not a great look. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Fitbit has done reasonably well, uh, you know, so yeah. it's, it's been around. Uh, the Pebble smartwatch, which was, was one of my favorites, the Pebble, because it was so inexpensive, uh, you know, they, uh, they shut down. Uh, somebody, Motorola or somebody acquired their assets and then they're just gone now. So this, this Kickstarter hero from two years ago is now gone in 2017. So it was a rough year for wearables. I don't know if they'll recover for next year or not, but, uh, but in the meantime, I've got the Ooh, trusty analog a watch. classic wearable. I know. Nice. Uh, and oddly what does it enough, do? I don't have to shake my wrist to tell the time. Yeah. I can just look, and it's there. It's amazing. Yeah, but you got to figure out what all those hands mean. Well, That's... it's an always-on screen, uh -huh. uh, which sure. is beneficial. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It tells yeah. me the date and the time. Well, this lets me know uh, several times a day that I am not doing nearly enough to stay alive. You know, Fitbits are great at tracking weight gain. And yes. uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, yes, I still haven't done anything today. Just double-checking in case I forgot about that run I took. Nope, zero mm -hmm. minutes of activity. Uh, there's so, always tomorrow. I'm essentially dead. <laughs> uh, so, and, and so is our section on buzzwords and fads. But it will be interesting to see how, um, how wearables kind of evolve over the next couple of years, whether they become, you know, back to kind of single... Uh, focus devices like like fitness or i mean one of the big things with the apple watch for me is just it, just been its, its size too that it's yeah. it's not the most attractive watch if they can get that thing really thin and and you know a little more um a, a little better form factor you know maybe that's the problem maybe next year instead of wearables they should be um insertables mm. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. all right so uh, switching gears <laughs> To uh, cloud technologies. Cloud technology is the next thing we want to talk about. Uh, and I, I actually sent down an article today about uh, Alibaba trying to uh, jump into the Indian market with their own uh, cloud service. So, you know, with, with the, the funding they have behind them, they, they could certainly make a, make a jump. But, uh, um, but the first story we have in the cloud technologies is about the, the rise of Docker. And Docker is something that's been brought up several times on on, on um, this podcast, as, as we've talked about. Well, actually, a lot uh, related to AWS and, and stories coming out of uh, that AWS conference uh, earlier this month. But uh, Docker is kind of one of the uh, great uh, success stories of 2017, I'd say. If we were filming this at the end of 2016, this would be in the buzzword category. This would be, oh, I'm tired of hearing about containers and Docker. Uh, just release some stable software, and, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, well, in 2017, they did release some stable software, and it has caught on like wildfire. Uh, almost every developer out there is is learning about using Docker and developing in a Docker environment. They may not be deploying their final product in Docker, but they're absolutely using it as part of their dev or sandbox environments. It does a, a great job for that. Adoption has been through the roof. Um, they had DockerCon this year, bigger than any previous year. Uh, Electric Cloud gathered some of the data together from the conference uh, that, that was released out there. And, uh, you know, there are more than 14 million Docker hosts out in the world right now, more than 900,000 Docker apps, 77,000 growth in Docker job listings. That just shows you how important a skill set this has become. And for a developer, you can't ignore that. 
you have to say, all right, I, I work in this space, I develop applications, I need to know how to work inside of Docker. And as a system administrator, you need to know it as well because if they're running Docker, who's going to have to help? Who's going to have to make sure that it's being secured and protected? And that's a big thing, too, is container security is on the rise. So this one's officially moved from buzzword to success story. Docker is going to be here for a while. It will eventually be replaced by something better. But for now, uh, if you're doing a containerized deployment or working in a container environment, the odds are you're using Docker. And even uh, most Linux distros that had LXC or Microsoft, where the Hyper-V containers, both of those have, have switched to doing Docker. Microsoft has direct Docker support uh, in most Linux distros. Uh, some Linux distros don't even have LXC packages anymore. They just have Docker. So they, they kind of won that battle, the, the battle between VHS and Betamax. Well, this is Docker versus everybody else, and, and Docker, I think, has won that one in 2017. Yeah, and, and so where does Kubernetes fit in with this? Because that's something that, uh, I mean, does that compete directly with Docker? So it, it doesn't compete directly with Docker. It competes with Docker Swarm. Okay. So Docker by itself is one container, right? Uh, so if I have an application, I can run it in this one little box, and it, and it does its job. Well, I can't expose a thousand people to that one little box is not going to be able to handle the load. So I'm going to need more than one of those, more than one container. So how do we orchestrate that? How do we make sure that I can spin out those containers as I need them? Or sometimes I might have one application that actually has multiple pieces, a database, a web application, and a web front end. And it's actually three different containers. How do I manage the relationship between those containers? Well, Docker Swarm was the way to do that from the official Docker company. The Kubernetes option was one that was kind of championed by Google, and they were competing products. And yeah, for a long time, people just didn't know which one to go with. Like one was was championed by the people that made Docker. That seems like a, a no brainer. Uh, the other one is championed by Google, a, a little tech company startup out of uh, California. Right about them. Yeah, they do the cars, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and the the, the glasses. Oh, the glasses. Uh, so, so when a company like that puts their weight behind it. You can't go wrong with it either. So, so which one do you pick? And that was a tough decision at the beginning of 2017. At the end of 2017, it's pretty obvious that Kubernetes won that battle. Even Docker now fully supports Kubernetes. Uh, AWS supports it, so I can actually create a an orchestration package in Kubernetes locally on my own laptop, and then I can just shoot it right into AWS and deploy the same infrastructure, and, and off we go. That has has taken over. So uh, that was another big winner for the year. Yeah, and uh, and and they have a fun conference too, uh, Kubicon, which well, which we've we've debated the uh, <laughs> pronunciation of whether it's CubeCon or, or Kubicon because it's Kubernetes. It better be Kubicon, um, but even their own uh, marketing seems to embrace both. So, uh, yeah. And speaking of cloud stuff, cloud stuff. Great segue mm -hmm. there, Peter. Uh, Azure gains market share while AWS plateaus. That was not a big story from this year. Um, AWS seemed to be kind of the um, the one really pulling ahead in in that uh, in that big cloud fight over the last couple of years. But um, I guess they've kind of reached a critical mass. I mean, I know we talked uh, in a podcast earlier this month that uh, AWS was opening some new data centers in Europe, um, but uh, but Azure has definitely um, seen its fair share of gains as well. That, that landscape is changing, right? So at the beginning of 20, uh, 2017, whatever year this is, uh, if you had asked me, uh, who are the major cloud providers? If I'm evaluating a cloud solution, who do I need to be looking at? And as far as public clouds go, AWS has been the 600-pound gorilla. You know, they, They've been the leader of that market. They've had primary market share for quite some time because they got a big head start on, on everybody else. Uh, Google Compute was still a very small market share. Microsoft Azure was making a dent, um, uh, definitely larger than Google Compute, but way smaller than AWS. And that was kind of the top three. And we've seen some big changes this year. Uh, Gartner did a, a study and, and kind of released some numbers on this that uh, Channel E2E published. And so you can kind of see that market share right here where Amazon has 44% of the market share, a huge chunk. Microsoft only has 7% right? Which is, you know, significantly smaller. Uh, you've got Google at 3%, Alibaba at 3%, Rackspace at 2%, uh, others. I mean, that, that's anybody else. So um, uh, that includes some even private cloud offerings. So obviously, Amazon is still the market leader. That, that has not changed, right? 
But what's significant here are the growth rates that Amazon had had been growing quite a bit as people moved to the cloud. But now people are becoming more comfortable with the other options that are in the market. And there are certain areas where Microsoft is doing a better job with Azure or Google is doing a better job with GCE. And Amazon, while they have a massive product offering, might not be excelling, excelling in certain areas. So if we look at the growth rate on these things, this is the, the, the really interesting one. Because uh, if you take a look here, Microsoft has grown 61%. Amazon has only grown 45.9%. So Azure, while it is only 7% to Amazon's 44%, Azure is growing faster. And Peter, you mentioned Alibaba a minute ago, 126%. Well, they were practically non-existent in 2016, so it's easy to make giant strides like that. If we see that again in 2018, then Alibaba will be a, a bigger player. Google doubled in size, 100% growth. That That's really massive. Um, Rackspace, 5%, they, they, they kind of have their market and are holding it, uh, but not not making a, a lot of big advancements there. And that's partly because they've really doubled down on their investment in OpenStack, and OpenStack just hasn't seen a lot of uptake. So, uh, so that one's kind of kind of held there. They're focusing more on the hybrid cloud environment, whereas Google, Microsoft, th those guys are uh, focused more on the full cloud uh, deployment. So uh, really interesting when you start to look at these growth rates and, and what we're seeing. Uh, come out of these providers. Yeah, and the article I was I was talking about earlier um, was saying how Alibaba is uh, opening a uh, cloud center in India, and you know that's really one of those markets where maybe there's not a lot of money there for them, but there's a lot of tech companies based there. There's a Absolutely. lot of data um, that can be there uh, put there, and there's you know obviously a, a tremendous uh, tech workforce as, as well. So yeah. if you want to see that number continue to rise, you know, making investments like that is going to really help with the billion people there. You know, one thing I consistently see in the U.S. media is that, at least here in the U.S., it is very easy for us to uh, to not think about the Indian market or the Chinese market, that those two countries are very independent, right? They have a, a very, a very tight-knit culture, and they, they keep to themselves, by and large, right? Well, they are massive, massive countries. China has a population that is, it's like a quarter of the Earth's population, isn't yeah. it? Uh, and India is no slouch either. They have a huge population. So it makes sense that if you can do business there, it's not so much about uh, what the economy is like or, or whether their currency is worth more or less than ours. It's it's the opportunity to do business, and those are huge growth markets, and, and it makes sense to jump into those. Yeah, when I look at uh, data in, as far as social networks go, uh, when I'm, I'm doing my day-to-day -day job, I'll see things like Weibo and, and say, what is this? Why is this showing up in, in the list of top social media sites? And I forget, oh, China, because, because that's what they're on. And, and so as a result, they're um, you know, as big or bigger than Facebook in, in, in certain categories. So uh, definitely something to think about because that, that's a lot of data. It's got to go somewhere. I'm pulling this up real quick. So uh, according to Google, so uh, this is my, my fact checking here, uh, the U.S. population is 324 million uh, as of 2017. All right, we're number uh, one. China, 1. 1.379 oh. billion. They have a billion more people than we do like that's how much larger that that country is uh india 1.3 billion both india and china dwarf the united states as far as market share so uh you know something to keep in mind when you hear about these countries that are branching out in those markets those are massive markets yeah it is <laughs> well, we've got a lot of catching up to do uh so uh next up uh staying in the cloud uh 40% of all Microsoft Microsoft Azure VMs now run Linux. And that's something we just talked about recently, right? That, mm -hmm. That's something they just recently opened up. Yeah. Definitely seen some growth. This is uh, more of like uh, you know, Sachin Adela, when he took over as CEO of Microsoft from Steve Ballmer, uh, he is doing something different than, than what we've seen in the past, which is he's been embracing open source. And Microsoft has been making big strides in that area uh, and, and making it making it available. When they launched Azure, they easily could have said, we only support Windows VMs. But they worked out agreements. They've got where you can do Red Hat VMs, you can do Ubuntu VMs. Uh, they've got a few other platforms that are supported now. Uh, you can even do free BSD VMs now in, inside of Azure. Uh, and at the beginning of the year, there was a, a really surprising uh, news flash or whatever, I think it was in April, where they said it was 27% of, of VMs in Azure were actually Linux VMs. 
that that was significant. I mean, that's almost a third of the VMs. Well, towards the end of the year, I think it was in October, they came out and said, now it's 40%. So it's growing 40%. You know, almost half the VMs in Azure are Linux-based. And it it is a big trend in the server space that uh, Linux is it, Linux has always dominated the server space for a long time. Um, so that that's not new. But inside of these cloud services, they normally like to pick one or two OSs and stick to it. Uh, and with Azure to see them doing this, it, it's really cool. Um, you know, I think about uh, how it used to be that if you wanted to deploy a web application, a lot of things were deployed on free BSD. Uh, services like Hotmail were entirely built on BSD. And when Microsoft acquired Hotmail, they spent the first year porting all of that over to run on Windows servers with IIS as the web server. Well, I don't think they'd do that today. Today, they would say, all right, it's going to run on FreeBSD. That's how we'll, we'll stick with it. Uh, they've been doing things like open sourcing the .NET framework to be able to support Linux and even Mac OS. Uh, just a lot of movement like that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if next year we start to see a, a Microsoft Linux, like their own distro. It would make a whole lot of sense. And it used to be that people were always saying, when, when is it going to be the year of the Linux desktop, Right. Uh, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen, but it has already been the year of the the Linux server for many years, and the Azure growth kind of shows that. Yeah, and this, uh, you are certainly not representative of the uh, the general population, but this is the year you switched over to um, a Linux laptop as kind of your your main my, my full time yeah, one, your yeah, full time machine. I, I usually rotate between. I, I was on a Mac for the last two years uh, as my my main machine, so. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I like to alternate, but I just I like to learn different OSs, so I'll run all sorts of things. But uh, you know, Linux itself, it has become more and more polished over the years. And you know, desktop and server are really two different beasts. On the server side, it's all about stability and running rock solid. And so when you're running like Red Hat Enterprise Linux on a server, you know it's going to run, you know it's going to be stable. On a desktop. Things like that aren't as good because they, they have older kernels, older libraries. They can't run the latest software. So stability is kind of a, a second place to features. And, and that is a tough thing because if you give people an unstable desktop, they're not going to be happy with it. So we still see Windows dominating the desktop market. That's not going to change anytime soon, except for all the mobile OSs that are coming in. So all of a sudden, the Windows versus Mac OS argument, I think, is going to go away, right? But But for right now... Uh, you still see a, a lot of Windows Server development, just not in the cloud because it, the the licensing and the expense. If you auto scale with Windows Server, dealing with the licensing is is just frustrating uh, versus with uh, Linux where it's free. And and I don't know much about this, but um, I, I remember when we talked about Kali Linux a few weeks ago um, that we talked about how they're uh, it, it is able to run on on mobile devices. Is that something you think we're going to see more of with with people running Linux on? On mobile devices, certainly. I, I technically anybody who's running Android is already running Linux on their mobile OS, right? Uh, Android, well, Android is not Linux. It does run the Linux kernel, okay. uh, so it is is very very similar. Um, Chromebooks are running Linux, and, and that's why Android apps are able to run on top of Chromebooks now because they've they've got that compatibility layer. Uh, so we definitely see that. Um, Samsung. So my phone is a, a Samsung Galaxy S eight. Um, they, they had this DEX feature where I can drop my phone into a dock and it will come up and I can use a monitor and keyboard and it's a full-blown desktop. Mm -hmm. Well, they're beta testing right now where you can actually have a Linux distro running right on the phones. So now it's a full-blown version of Linux. I think we'll see that, but 2017 also marked the year that uh, Ubuntu killed their mobile plans, right? Um, oh, that, is that uni Unity? And uh, it, It's tied to Unity, yep. Okay. So uh, I guess... Oh, yeah, this is yeah. our next story, actually. So we're it, it's a beautiful segue that I set you up for, but <laughs> switching to operating systems, yeah. Uh, Ubuntu Unity is dead. Desktop will switch back to GNOME. Uh, that's the, the, the one headline in this entire rundown that I understood like three of the words in, and there were and and dead <laughs> and will, so... Help me in this one. All right. So um, Ubuntu has kind of arisen as being the uh, most popular Linux distro for workstations. For servers, they, they've still got a ways to go. But for workstations, they've, they've definitely uh, kind of capitalized on that. Uh, and they've done a good job. I, I'm not the biggest fan, but they, they certainly have done a good job with it. Um, a couple of years ago, they made a controversial decision and decided to switch their desktop environment to one called Unity. And Unity was designed to work on any sized screen. So a full-size laptop, a big-screen TV, or a mobile phone. And what they figured was 
if we can get it to support any size screen, now you can have one OS on your mobile, on your laptop, on your desktop, on your embedded devices. It can all share one operating system. It's a, it's a lofty goal. It didn't do so well. The Linux mobile phones that they released, I forget what they were called. Um, the I think it was called like the Ubuntu phone or something like that. Um, not too exciting. Uh, it, it didn't sell very well. Got a lukewarm reception. The people who did buy it were total zealots. I mean, they loved it, but there just weren't enough of them. So, uh, uh, you know, it didn't do well. And so this year, Canonical made the decision, we're going we're gonna to stop supporting Unity. So they're, they're, they're not putting any more development dollars into Unity. And instead, they are going back to GNOME, the desktop that pretty much everybody else runs, uh, to basically make sure that uh, the users get the experience that they want. But it effectively killed the, the Ubuntu phone, which was probably the Linux phone that had the most promise. Well, let's actually jump ahead uh, a story then, because it kind of is a good segue. But another phone that's essentially dead uh, is the Windows phone. And I will say I had a Windows phone um, back in the day. And, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding like a Microsoft fanboy, I really, really enjoyed it. I think uh, if, if all other things were equal, and all other things being equal means the App Store. If the App Store was yeah. equal across all those devices... Uh, I would take a, a Windows Phone operating system um, any day. Now, this was at the time compared to where iOS was then, where Android was then. I'd, I'd need to reevaluate now because that was that was a few years ago. But did, did you have a Windows device? Uh, Windows uh, I, I did, but not not the current generation. Okay. Right? Oh, I guess we had a test device here that yeah. I messed with. But uh, uh, but as far as something I actually used, it was a, a long time ago, um, back in the uh, Palm Trio days. Yeah. Uh, but you're not the first person I've I've heard that from that people who use the Windows mobile platform really did like it. And if you used your phone as a phone, they, they worked really well. The call quality was good. The user interface was very fluid and easy to get to what you wanted. Texting and email were straightforward and simple. What did them in was the App Store. And, and Microsoft admitted this. They, they came out and they said, look, um, we've tried everything we can do to get Windows mobile to, to take. And if you look at their history, they certainly have tried. It came a long way from the old Windows CE, uh, which is what it started as, uh, and moved through all of its iterations uh, through the, the, the Palm days uh, and then moving on to the ridiculous name they gave it in Windows. It was Windows 7 Phone Series, like just the dumbest name possible, uh, to Windows 10 Mobile, and, and it just didn't take. Uh, and the problem was the App Store. And, and that's more than likely what was killing the Linux phones as well. It is difficult, really difficult to launch a new platform today with no apps. And so what Microsoft said in their, their uh, admission, they, they said, look, we, we tried everything. We tried, we tried uh, paying people to yeah, write the, apps. The place where I, I used to work, we built apps for the Microsoft uh, phone marketplace and, and were paid to do it yeah. by Microsoft. They said that they even tried writing the apps for people. Where you know, I, you I think just it was, sign off on this was one. It, was you? it yeah. Facebook? It was somebody big. Yeah. Where they said they weren't going to release an app for Windows Mobile, and so Microsoft said, "What if we write it for you? We'll, we'll do all the work." Yeah. And uh, and they said even even then, uh, companies just didn't care. Like, why would we put work in for this phone that doesn't even have one percent of the market share? Uh, and so everybody saw it. It was just it, it was dying on the vine. And when internal Microsoft employees started to resist and say, "Boy, I'd really like." Uh, an iPhone, or I'd really like an Android phone. Uh, that was that was the writing on the wall, and so now Microsoft has kind of pivoted and said, "All right, we, we can't be successful in that market. So instead, let's make our products run on the mobile devices." And I'll tell you, Microsoft Office on Android and Microsoft Office on iOS runs really well. Skype, Skype for Business, they both do really well on the mobile platforms. So that that adoption that's happened has really really worked out well for them. That doesn't mean they won't try and get into this market again, but this last time, I mean, it, Windows Windows 10 Mobile was a failure. It, it did they, not get they high went all rate. in. Yeah, they definitely went all in and, and failed. I mean, they were at the point where where they were giving each Microsoft employee mm -hmm. here's here's your mobile device and and uh, you know and here's your Surface and uh, they were still going out and buying an iPhone yep. uh, or an Android device. 
Yeah, and uh, and their acquisition of Nokia turned out to be like a, almost a total write-off, yeah. uh, or Nokia, I think I said it wrong. Uh, they, Depends on where you are. I yeah, guess so. So, uh, so that acquisition didn't go well. They lost a ton of money there. So all all real, real eye-openers on that one. Uh, we'll see what happens down the road. We might see a, a Microsoft phone again in the future, but it, it might just be running Android, or, or they might try and launch something and, and kind of capitalize on that App Store, but... I think where they, they need to be worried, and this will be like a, a prediction for next year, right, is that if people are increasingly moving away from desktop OSs and Microsoft doesn't have a mobile OS that is, is worthwhile, uh, Microsoft's big claim to fame is that on the desktop side, they have more apps than anybody. They have more programs that run natively on Windows than anybody else, and it's easy to use, and it's stable, and they've got hardware drivers, and it's great, right? But if people's need for that is going away, the Windows operating system itself could become irrelevant in the next few years. And they've got to have something to pivot to. Well, they've got Azure mm -hmm. that does that. They've got Xbox, their successful gaming unit. Uh, so they, they've got other things for the company. Microsoft Office will continue to be an amazing product, but I fully expect to see more Microsoft products getting ported over to to run on Android or to run on uh, Mac OS and Linux. I, I think we'll see more and more of that as Microsoft themselves looks at it and says, hey, the, the Windows operating system may not be relevant for too much longer. Yeah, and just to, to kind of look back at this and put some numbers to it, uh, this is from a, an old article. So this is 2014 from CNET when the Windows Store um, had the benchmark of hitting 300,000 apps. And at that same time, uh, Apple had 1.2 million apps. And so you were having to do things on your... Uh, in your browser, uh, basically on the phone, that other people were able to do in a native app that it was a much better experience. But um, going back to what you said uh, and Microsoft putting um, uh, putting their products into different environments kind of brings us to our last story there. Uh, Microsoft uh, brought SQL Server to Linux, which, I mean, that, that's, that's a huge deal if you told someone that, you know, three, four years ago, and, and that happened in 2017. Absolutely, and and they they announced they were going to do it in 2016, but they actually did it in 2017. So I threw it in here. Uh, this was a big deal because Microsoft SQL Server, their database server, uh, is one of their cornerstone products, one of their oldest products. It, it came out in the 1980s uh, and has evolved a lot. And and databases are so critical to organizations these days that uh, that this product is is just really really important. Well, for them to release a version of it that runs on top of Linux, that right there shows that separation of what if we don't have the Windows operating system underlying? What if somebody's deploying in the cloud and they're using Linux servers because they're better supported and they're easy to scale, and now they can't use SQL Server, right? So now they've double lost a customer. What if they could retain at least the SQL Server side, which is where they make a lot of money? You know, at Microsoft, they, they, uh, they consider their successful products the ones that have generated more than a billion in revenue, and SQL Server did that a long time ago. Uh, other products like SharePoint only did it a few years ago, uh, but they're newer products. It takes time to get to that point. SQL Server's already there. Uh, I think we're going to see more of Microsoft server services, things like Microsoft Exchange or even the Active Directory start to become containerized or, or able to be deployed on a, on a different operating system like this. And those are products that Microsoft does an amazing job with. Microsoft's Active Directory is really, really good. And if you are a, a total Microsoft hater and you love Linux and LDAP is your, your best friend, uh, technologies like Open LDAP, they're pretty, pretty fickle. They're really easy to break. Uh, they, they have a lot of functionality, but they're very easy to break. Microsoft's Active Directory it's very stable, and it has even more functionality, like group policy objects and, and things of that nature. The, the multi-master replication, it's really impressive technology. If they could bring that to other platforms, that would be that would be something really special. I think we'll see more of that since we're already seeing them do it on, on the mobile platforms. It makes sense to do it on the server side, too. And, and I kind of already feel that Windows Server is it's already irrelevant. If somebody's going to craft a web application today, they're not going to develop it in Windows. They're going to develop it in a, in a Docker container, which is built around Linux. Even Docker containers on Windows are built around Linux. That, that's how they are. So uh, when you have new development not taking place, it's just a matter of time before people move away from the old stuff and that platform goes away. Windows Server will go away before Windows as a desktop. But I, I think that that writing is on the wall. And Apple's doing the same thing. Uh, Apple's OS X server or macOS server, whatever you want to call it, uh, has seen 
very little change in the last five years. And their dev team for Mac OS as a whole has been moved over to their mobile team. And so they, they're paying very little attention to the desktop OS. We're just not seeing big changes. I, I think 2018 will be a big shakeup for, for desktop OSs. And that said, if you're looking for uh, Windows Server training, we have that at <laughs> IT Pro TV. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of courses. Um, because, you know, even though it'll be dead, it'll still be used by governments for the next <laughs> 25 years. Well, so that is it, true. It will continue to be a very important part. Well, uh, and, and, and it highlights that for, for all of us, we need to, to look back at the year. We need to see how these things progress to figure out what we need to be paying attention to in the next year. And I think it's pretty obvious at this point that if you haven't looked into how to manage mobile devices, if you haven't looked into cloud technologies, these are things that you're not going to be able to ignore in 2018. This is very reminiscent of Novell in the 1990s, that Novell Netware was the king of enterprise networking in the 1990s. And towards the end, they had products like Novell GroupWise that was a great product, but that platform was just not uh, not user-friendly. It just didn't, didn't adjust with the times. It had great technology like IPX, SPX. It was a great protocol, but it just didn't, didn't stay current with the changing needs with the internet generation. And now we're seeing this cloud generation, and I, the way I see it is Microsoft is making moves to, to keep themselves going and being a leader, whereas Novell didn't, and now Novell's kind of a footnote. Yeah. And well, I, I definitely think we have some good uh, predictions to pull out of this episode too. So when we do that uh, 2018 year in review, I'll be able to go back and pull clips of Don saying, you know, <laughs> the most important thing to look for is, you know, get your bitcoins in now, folks. Who would um, ever need more than 640k of memory? Yeah, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, you know, you need a whole plane to carry that kind of memory. But uh, yeah, a lot of great stories from 2017. Um, great year for us, and uh, you know, great year for um, people to just get your data. Apparently, that was that was the other big story. Everyone taking our data. But uh, <laughs> that's gonna do it for us, and we'll definitely be back in 2018, um, kicking off next week uh, with with the news of. Uh, I think we got CES coming up, and a lot of other conferences that really start to hit uh, in the beginning, uh, the first quarter of, of 2018. So a lot of great news will be coming out of that. But for now, it's going to do it. So uh, please take a moment to uh, to subscribe, share, like this, um, review it. Uh, we we love reviews. It helps us uh, kind of move up in the rankings on the various podcast uh, marketplaces. So please take a moment to do that. So, Don, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, it's been a great year for most everybody, unless you got infected with ransomware. Uh, so, you know, just stay on top of it. Pay attention to security in the upcoming year. Uh, make sure that you try and put some perspective on everything. Don't necessarily believe all the hype around products or all the sensationalism around the security alerts that are out there. Uh, you know, just look at it, read it, understand it, and stay safe. Sounds good. All right, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. So we'll see you next time.